From Victory Boulevard to the Grand Concourse, from Broadway to Utopia Parkway, and right here on Atlantic Avenue in the borough of Brooklyn, it's 5 p.m. in the five boroughs and across the 62 counties on this lovely snowy evening. And so it's time for Max and Murphy, your interview and call-in show about the policies, politics, and people of New York City and New York State. I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Jarrett, how are you? I'm doing well. I love Uh, winter weather, so this is like a perfect day for me. I prefer the snow to the rain. I'll say that much, but uh, I'd rather pretty much none of it. Um, (laughs) But I like politics and we have uh, (laughs) plenty of of that coming down. Um, So we are less than a week now to the vote in this special election that we've been covering very closely. Um, What's on your mind here as we get close to election day? And before I'll give you another five seconds to think about that. Um, folks should just stay tuned. We've got two more public advocate candidates coming on the line today. We'll have Jamani Williams and Idanis Rodriguez, two city council members running for public advocate, find themselves in two fairly different situations here as we enter the final days. But we'll get a chance to hear from both of them as we continue interviewing candidates for this citywide office the vote will be Tuesday. One thing that's very much on my mind is as a voter, I think I mentioned last week and it remains the case that I am I'm undecided in this race. I don't typically talk about who I vote for, um, but I can divulge that in this case, uh, unusual for me, I am not sure who is going to get my vote. Um, from a process standpoint, which you and I talk a lot about, I'm really interested with how our system has responded to this race, this unusual citywide special election uh, coming as it does in February. Very large field. Tonight we have the second of two debates. The first debate we had 10 of the 16 active balloted candidates. Tonight we only have seven. This is the leading contenders debate. Not on that debate are three people who are sitting elected officials. Not that that necessarily gives you more right than others to be heard, but indicative of just how um, uh, disciplined and how severe that uh, culling process has been. And I don't know uh, what should be done in a situa- situation like this where you have so many voices, so little time to devote to a race that uh, a lot of New Yorkers probably aren't paying attention to much anyway, if at all. I don't know the answer, but I think this is a, an election that has really challenged that. So I think this this race has raised some important questions about what to do about these sort of official debates that are really determined and sanctioned by the New York City Campaign Finance Board. And in some cases, the rules around those debates are set in city law, but the Campaign Finance Board, you know, then has certain determinations to make uh, about requirements. Um, But, you know, one of the one of the interesting questions has been raised by this race is whether it should how many of the thresholds for making a televised official sanctioned debate should be financial? And we're seeing, you know, the fact that that was basically the two different debates. Those are the requirements. Yes, you also had to have an endorsement from an elected official or a large organization for this second one. But, um, you know, that that's that's kind of tough that you have to raise and spend a certain amount of money to to sort of get on the debate stage. I think that's really worth reevaluating here after this. But at the same time, I also think it's important that maybe you have one debate that is a larger field and then you do do what they are calling the leading contenders debate. It's just very challenging to figure out how you determine that. 
personally, I'd be fine if there was some sort of set committee, you know, that included former elected officials, media types, um, you know, uh, people from the campaign finance board, whatever that panel might look like. You know, I think that might be an interesting way to do it, although that gets into pretty subjective territory. So it is tricky. We should note that we will have two guests tonight who are among the candidates in the race for public advocate. One will be part of that debate tonight. The other will not. We'll hear from City Council Member Jumani Williams of Brooklyn first, and then from his council colleague, Manhattanite Adonis Rodriguez second. Uh, Rodriguez will not be in the debate. Williams will. And, uh, you know, besides the public advocate race, I think probably the biggest news maybe of the month, if not the year, certainly since the last show we had, is the Amazon pullout from New York City, which I was uh, surprised by. I did not expect it to collapse at all. Certainly didn't expect it to happen that quickly. And I think that you can feel sort of like after an earthquake where the whole world sort of pings back and forth till it reaches equilibrium again. I feel like we're still sort of pinging over this this big news. I think we are, and I think it'll carry through for a bit. I think the most important person really who decides how much uh, how much legs this story has is Governor Cuomo, who's very upset about it and blaming the state Senate Democrats, especially State Senator Michael Janaris of Queens, who is a leading opponent, but also Senate Majority Leader Andrew Stewart-Cousins, who basically deferred to Janaris and then wound up saying he was going to be her nominee to this obscure state board that might have had some say over whether the the project was going to move forward or at least part of the funding. And so Cuomo's very upset with the Senate Democrats. You know, it's been very interesting to watch the fallout as Mayor de Blasio has only pointed the finger at Amazon for, as he says, you know, taking their ball and going home and not being really willing to engage and maybe make some new, you know, negotiations and concessions, whereas Governor Cuomo has basically solely pointed the finger at Generis and the Senate Democrats and maybe some others that made some noise about the deal, like Jimmy Van Bramer of the city council. So I think the fallout from that, I kind of tend to think that we move on pretty quickly these days. Um, nothing was built. Nothing was real physically torn down. There's no real physical symbol of it. It, it came and went quickly. But we'll see in the political discussion where where it goes. And it could bleed into this public advocate race because, uh, as we were talking before we came out on the air, the Daily News uh, suggesting folks vote for Eric Ulrich for a range of reasons, one of them being that he was the most vociferous candidate, if not the only candidate uh, in the field, um, seeking that office to support vocally the Amazon. At least of the 10 candidates who were in the first debate, he certainly was the only real pro-Amazon to New York candidate. Um, And, you know, he won't be in the second televised debate that's that's coming up later tonight. That's a real missed opportunity, I think, for his candidacy and his team. I don't know how much these debates really matter in terms of the final outcome, but it's certainly a missed opportunity for him to, again, you know, he, in the first televised debate, Ulrich was sitting in the middle of 10 candidates. Uh, he was sort of sitting there happy-go-lucky as he does. He has, you know, a biting wit. He used that. Um, and he set himself apart as the only elected Republican in the the field and the only Republican on that stage in terms of a variety of viewpoints, including on Amazon. And so he's not in the second debate. That was, uh, seems to me, a real problem in terms of how the campaign did their fundraising. Or it may also indicate that he's not really galvanizing the moderate Democrats, the independents and the Republicans across the city that he needs to win this thing if he hasn't been able to meet that financial threshold. And of course, what's interesting is that 
his his selling point as a candidate has been he's going to be Bill de Blasio's worst nightmare right. Republican who's actually going to challenge him, be a counterpoint to him on policy issues. Of course, on Amazon, he and Bill de Blasio were more or less on the same side. I'm sure there's some type <laughs> right, of right. strategy. But so that is that's interesting. And that might be part of why it's been difficult for him to galvanize that, because, um, you know, the, the, the politics in our city right now are not as, as purely and simply oppositional as perhaps might uh, might befit someone like like Ulrich. That is absolutely true. And speaking of this race and speaking of being oppositional, I think that is uh, our first guest today. It's That's a term that he would welcome to describe his approach to uh, to some of the policies uh, that come out of City Hall, and that is City Council Member Jamani Williams. Thanks for joining us here on WBAI. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. It's always a pleasure. Uh, so why don't you, you know, I know you've been uh, campaigning now what feels like sort of on an ongoing basis for a couple of years um, and talking really about a lot of the same stuff because you talked in your lieutenant governor run about sort of turning that office into the statewide public advocate's office. But for folks that maybe haven't been paying attention or need a refresher, um, you know, give your sort of pitch as to as to why you want to be public advocate. Uh, well, thanks. You know, I am a activist, public uh, activist elected official in the true sense of the word. You know, kind of popular to say you're an activist now, um, but you know, I haven't seen a lot of folks in the streets when I was in there uh, raising issues and raising people's voices every which way that I can. I really believe I have the combination of courage, being able to speak truth to power, uh, being an activist, to be in the streets to raise an issue, and being a legislator and understanding policy to actually get things done about it. Most folks can do one or the other. It's hard to really do all three. And I honestly believe that's what we need in the public advocate's role to be able to push the agenda when our elected leaders don't have the courage to do so. How do you feel about tonight's debate, Councilman Williams, and the fact that uh, you'll be on stage with six other candidates, but there are 16 people on the ballot? Do you feel like the way the debates have been run and organized has been fair, has been open? Do you think voters are getting enough information about the race? You know, I'm always careful how I answer those questions because I happen to be one that's going to be on both debates, and I, I do want to understand uh, how people who are also running and don't make it may feel. I would say that we do have to have a metric uh, where we can make sure that folks who are quote-unquote viable, for lack of a better word, and people who just absolutely are not, um, they get on the stage so people can actually hear their ideas. I'm not sure if we have a great metric for where that line is, uh, but I think we're trying. So say a little bit more about your campaign. One thing that I don't know that I've been able to tell, and I've obviously talked with you a bunch and and been watching closely, um, is if there are particular issues that you're you know, public advocate candidacy is about and and issues that would really organize the way that you would run the office if you're victorious. Is it, are there set issues or would you sort of approach the public advocate office more about tackling the issue of the day, the week, the month, you know, things coming out of City Hall a little bit more reactive? Well, for, for starters, I think I want to reorganize the, how the public advocate office works. Just putting my community organizer hat on. We want to set up um, deputy public advocates in every borough with satellite offices in every borough. And we want to use the CCRB data to do that. And we found that data usually travels the same. So where there are high instances of CCRB complaints, that might mean that there are high instances of police trying to respond to a problem that they don't have the tools to solve, and that can tend to over lead to over-policing. So there's 
probably a bunch of other issues uh, that the office would be well suited to bring to the attention of people who have uh, better tools. But on top of that, we do have you know four top line issues. And the first one is deeply income targeted affordable housing, from renters to foreclosure to NYCHA, transparency and accountability from Amazon to policing, continue the work we did around criminal justice, and hashtag MTA, about transportation in the city. Let's talk about housing for a minute, because that's obviously the background that you came to elected life from, and it's where you've uh, made some notable stands, including voting against MIH when it came up in the council. The question that comes to mind, obviously, is, is the public advocate really a place for digging deep into the details of, of those kinds of, of policies? I mean, you're a legislator now. Um, you have the ability to shape policy in that way. Uh, how does the public advocate meaningfully affect housing policy in the city, given that it's primarily a, a watchdog, or at least has always been positioned as an ombudsman and less a policymaker? Well, there, there's a few things there. One is, you know, there, there are five powers that the public advocate has. The first is introducing legislation. Uh, second is the ombudsman watchdog. Third is a charter cop. Uh, you know, hopefully we spend some time there. I think that's critically important, making sure that agencies are doing their duty. You have a vote on the pension board, and you get to appoint people to things like city planning. But I, I do think what happens often is the administration, this one especially, but administrations in general actually make decisions kind of high up in the tower and then try to do them to the community. The public advocates office should be set up so that there can be a conversation with the community. So the way we want to set up the office that I previously discussed is whether it's housing policy, whether it's rezonings or writers, there should be some kind of communication pipeline from the community to the public advocate's office, then to uh, government, so that the, the community has a real say in these things. Because right now, New York City feels like they don't get to have a say in when rezones are coming up. They don't get to have a say uh, about what's going on with Rikers. These things are done to them, and the public advocate's office has to be balanced in that way. And in terms of, um, I mean, why don't you take another few seconds? You said you want to talk a little bit about the the charter cop part of the job. I mean, is there something specific you have in mind there in terms of ways in which you think city agencies are not really following the city charter? Or is it more of a broad idea that you want to get in there to the public advocate's office and then, you know, sort of take a closer look? I do think there are ways that the agencies are not living up to their full potential. So whether it is um, the NYPD, uh, that we have been resistant to anything that has to do uh, with uh, how police officers are disciplined, uh, whether it's ACS, uh, there have there been uh, lots of stories of women of more color in particular who are, have been losing their babies uh, to uh, poverty, uh, not to neglect, whether it's the DOE um, that are making decisions that we have been unable to really figure out what they're based on, whether it's the size of their budget, um, uh, whether it's the money going to uh, the charter schools. There's a lot of questions that I think we can help answer for many different agencies. NYPD, DOE, uh, ACS, um, HPD is another one. It just came out that they are not enforcing um, when we find bad landlords doing things that they shouldn't. So the public advocate's office is using the power of the Charlie Cop, uh, which these agencies are supposed to respond to the public advocate, I think can be an added layer of accountability and transparency. 
So the big news of the past week, obviously, has been the decision by Amazon to pull out from the HQ2 project in Long Island City. And I'm curious, I know you've talked about your feelings about that deal, but tell us, if you had been public advocate during the time this discussion was going on, what would you have done to have either created a better conversation, brought about this uh, result, changed the landscape in which it occurred? I mean, is there anything that could be better about where we are now, and what role would the public advocate, if you had been that person, what what role would you have had in in fomenting that? Well, you know, we want to make sure we have this conversation in a way that people don't retreat to their two corners. And leadership is making sure that you're trying to do what's best for the city, even against political wins. So we we signed on to the letter originally, because I think it was... Um, I would be derelict in my leadership not to engage about economic development, not to engage about 25,000 jobs. And we should have tried to use the power of the city to force Amazon to make changes of things we know are bad, like labor practices. But that's not what happened. We had three men in a room again making decisions on behalf of the city without speaking to anyone else in a secretive deal. And so that put a taint on the whole discussion. So we should be, we should take some pride that the people's voice was finally heard, but we should lament the fact that we didn't, we weren't able to have a very real discussion about what what might have been an economic plus because of the way they put the deal together. So again, as public advocate, if we can set up the office, how we're thinking about it in the the vision of of a community organizer, there would immediately be a system where we could have had people's voices heard. But again, in order to do that, there would have had to not be a non-disclosure agreement. And I do have a bill now uh, with Councilmember Lander and Jimmy Van Bremer to make sure that a mayor can never sign a non-disclosure agreement again. And what could have happened is when those issues begun to be raised, mayor and the governor could have immediately taken stock of it. But they, again, just rejected that they even had issues to deal with. It turns out, when sunlight hit the deal, Amazon didn't seem to be really interested in being good partners in New York City. It seemed to be only interested uh, in what was best for them and their company. And oh. that's, that's all that, all that possibly being true or likely being true, I don't think I, you said anything there that I would uh, dispute necessarily. It also leaves out, though, that the opposition seemed very much just sort of oppositional and not necessarily even offering ways to make the deal palatable or being willing to meet with Amazon executives or, you know, the tone that was taken at the city council oversight hearings was basically, you know, to run Amazon out of town. Do you think that the opposition, um, yourself included, overplayed its hand? We, we may, may have, have lost the have council member. Jimani uh, Williams. It looks like we have s- him calling in, He's someone calling in. Jumani? Calling right back in, so we'll we'll pop him back on the line, and I'll... I'll yeah. Council member, are you back? Yes, I'm back. Okay. So uh, what I was asking, I don't know how much of it you heard, but I'll ask it again briefly. Um, but basically, you know, I think everything you said there about the Amazon situation was seemingly accurate, but also it leaves out sort of how the opposition really was about being oppositional and seemingly not really interested in figuring out a way to make it work and bring in the jobs and the revenue, perhaps with more concessions, not being willing to meet with Amazon. The tenor of those city council hearings was very, very rough. Um, do you think the opposition yourself included sort of overplayed that a little bit if you're asking if there are people who uh, went extreme i think that the answer is yes 
Um, I think, you know, obviously it started out extreme, the response was extreme. Um, I, if I was public advocate, would have met uh, with Amazon. I'm always into engaging people. I think that's important. But I do also want to point out what was presented. And when it was presented, the deal was just that bad. And then when people started to point that out, it wasn't like the Blasio and the governor said, okay, let's talk. They basically poo-pooed the people who were bringing this up. So the only way they could have really pushed was to push hard because no one was listening. And unfortunately, we didn't have people who wanted to listen. And so someone like me, who was willing to engage, uh, wasn't engaged either. It became just a, a back and forth. Uh, I would say blame all of this, literally, uh, as though they're trying to put it on the folks who push back, is with Jeff Bezos, Andrew Cuomo, and Bill de Blasio, how they started to have a conversation to begin with. And the fact is, when people started pushing back in the deal, they didn't take that time to have a leadership moment and say, let's engage. They immediately tried to demonize the folks who had very real concerns. And so we just got about 20 seconds left here, uh, Councilmember Williams. I just wanted to ask you in brief, um, you're heading into the second debate tonight. Lots of folks, uh, myself included, publicly sort of calling you the, the front runner in this race. Um, do you expect to be uh, attacked from a variety of sides uh, tonight in the, in the debate? Uh, well, I, one, I always reject uh, the front runner status. Um, we are running uh, like there are 16 people in this race, uh, 17 on the ballot, and one Republican. We're running like we're fighting for our lives and going to be doing that until 9.01. Um, we did get some attacks in the last debate. Uh, we assume that we'll get some more in this debate. But we're going to continue to answer the questions that have to do with policy. People are concerned about where they're going to live. Are the subways running on time? Can they feed their family? And uh, we believe we have the best combination of uh, what's needed to be public advocate to get those questions answered better. Well, we're going to leave it there. City Council Member Jamani Williams running for public advocate. Uh, good luck the rest of the way. We'll talk with you soon. Thank you. Take care. Uh, we just finished speaking with Jumani Williams, a Brooklyn council member, well known to many of our listeners as a lieutenant governor candidate last year and now one of the 16 people running for public advocate in the special election next Tuesday. We will be hearing in mere moments from another candidate in that race. That's Manhattan council member Adonis Rodriguez. Uh, ben, interesting discussion about Amazon, interesting discussion about how he envisions the role of public advocate. Yeah, I mean, I think there's been a bit of discussion in this race, and I'm not sure who said it first or or where, you know, this sort of popped up, but about this discussion of getting deputy public advocates or or folks who work from the public advocate office out in the boroughs more. And, you know, I know Nomiki Konst has talked about that uh, from early on, and it's interesting to hear Jamani Williams, you know, pledge some of that. I thought what he said about the Amazon deal was very interesting in terms of, you know, sort of acknowledging that that maybe some of the folks got a little extreme, he said, in their criticism and that if he was public advocate, he would have met with Amazon reps. So, you know, he's he's among those, I think, in this public advocate race who maybe are dialing back a little bit of their their rhetoric here since the deal fell apart, because I don't know that anybody anticipated it would really fall apart. Um, And I think some of the folks that helped to push Amazon to the point, whether you think Amazon should have stuck around or not, but to the point where Amazon decided to leave, you know, might be having a little bit of that dog that caught the car moment. Um, Although there are some who certainly are not having that moment, including Assemblymember Ron Kim, who's also a public advocate candidate and was, you know, celebrating the fact that Amazon had pulled out.